Hey guys, this is Corey Russell, and uh, you are listening to uh, my most recent message that I preached with my wife, Dana. The title of this message is The Changing of the Seasons, and we in this story talk about the changing of the seasons for Upper Room, as well as share personal vulnerable story about our last 10 years that just came to a close and we're entering into a new season. Get your seatbelt on. This thing's going to bless you. It's going to touch you. It's going to mark you. Bless you. Awesome. Guys, grab a seat. Come on. Good. Former U- the USM students, they don't, they don't do it as long as they used to. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, that'll work, that'll work, that'll work. My goodness, thank you, worship team. That was beautiful, man. My goodness. Don't take that for granted, man. I'm just grateful for people that are gonna take us to him you know, lead us and then just get out of the way. Friends of the bridegroom that just lead us into him. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. Luke 4. Um, I want to encourage you. I've never done this before. Um, I've been, we've, we've been here for two and a half years and uh, I've written, uh, I don't know, six, seven books. And uh, yeah, six or seven books, but I released one about a month and a half ago, and it's called The Gift of Tears. The Gift of Tears. And I'm going to kind of speak into some of the themes of the book tonight. You can get that right out there. I don't know what it is, $10, $11, somewhere in there, but this thing will bless you. It's been a message that the Lord's been cultivating in me for 20 years, and I'm going to speak into some of the themes of it tonight, so that'll bless you. I really believe that we've crossed over into a new season. I want to just say that. I know that preachers always say that. And heck, there's four seasons in every year, so it's always a new season. Look at your neighbor and say it's a new season. So (laughs) you're like, I'm in, I'm in. Okay, it's a new season. I, I really believe we're in a new season. I believe we as a family here at Upper Room I know and what we're going to share tonight, our family, our personal family is, but I believe that the whole body of Christ, I believe 2020 was a global reset. It was a global reset in the same way you reset a computer and it takes a little bit in rebooting. I believe we're in the rebooting process. And I believe that there will be many that were really prominent in the last season that won't be prominent in this next season. And there will be some that nobody knew about in the last season that will be really, you know, be really prominent and taking leadership in the coming days. I just looked over here. I just saw my good friend, Fred McKinney, right over here. Just wave, Fred. I want to, I want you to come up here and I, and I just love this. (laughs) All right. All right. We got the whole cheering section. I'm just so proud of this young man. You've been here, you know, he plays bass. He loves God. He's a faithful man. He has a lawn, he's, yeah, he's a lawn mowing business and a whole bunch of things, but he got a vision in the beginning of the year saying, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go after getting my life into alignment. And he's lost 60 pounds, 65 pounds. I love it, man. 65 pounds. We pray in tongues together all the time. He's getting his life into alignment. 
And I just, this is the kind of stuff I have to, when I see a young man that goes after God and saying, you know, I want to bring divine alignment to my life. I just respect you. I honor you. You're a beautiful man. And ladies, he is single. So I just wanted to, he has the best hair around upper room. Go ahead and, go ahead and showcase your hair there, Fred. Okay. It's beautiful hair. I love that man. He, he blesses me. He's so faithful in the house of the Lord. You know, I love getting, you know, I just love young people that are going after God saying, I'm going to go after this. And it, and it looks, I love getting blasted in meetings, but it looks like the faithful mundane setting goals and going after it. And that's the stuff that moves me and the people I want to run with. Amen. I love you, Freddie. I, I believe we're in a, so anyway, I believe we're in a new season and I'm back into the message and I'm going to share personally. We're going to get, I'm going to have my wife, my beautiful wife come up here in a little bit. We're going to share together tonight and we're going to share our story and how our story, a 10 year story that we're going to share is weaving together with upper room story. Cause this 40 day season of prayer and fasting was a significant season for the destiny of Upper Room. And I, I, the Lord met us over these Maranatha nights, what God did in this room. You doesn't, most of the greatest stuff doesn't feel awesome in the moment, but the toll and what begins to happen over time is the, because it's the power of weakness. It's the weakness, it's sown in weakness, but it's manifested in strength and glory. And a season of prayer and fasting is sowing in weakness and what God does in the wake of it is quite profound. I believe we're in a similar season of Luke 4, which is the launch of Jesus' ministry. All right, that's a big statement. Jesus in Luke 3 gets baptized by John the Baptist. Father openly declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes into 40 days of prayer and fasting. Okay? And it isn't amazing that the very thing he had just heard from Abba, what did he hear from Abba? Come on, Andrea. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What did the devil tempt and test him over for 40 days? Identity. If you are the son of God, then prove it. If you are the son of God, then manifest it. And Jesus refused to short circuit the father's plan of giving everything to him. And he would trust the father through every temptation saying, I'm not going to do it to prove it. I'm going to manifest in father's timing and in father's way. And I'm not going to do it the shortcut way. And I want to tell you this, young people, you receive sonship freely at the new birth. You are a beloved son and daughter at the new birth. That's the free gift. But I want to tell you this. Your sonship is manifested through testing, trial, and tribulation. It's through going through the testing and the temptation and the trial that sons are manifested and orphans fall to the wayside. So Jesus comes out of it. It says in Luke 3 that he went in filled with the Spirit, but Luke 4, it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. What happened between being filled and returning in power? The 40 days. First thing he did is he goes into Nazareth. He goes to hometown. He went to the synagogue where everybody watched him grow up. 
Everyone knew this is Joseph's son. Everyone knew this is Mary's son. And so Jesus is going to come into the synagogue. Look with me right here. And I want you to so vivid. I love this. Luke 4. And then start with me in verse 16. Let's look at this right here. Holy Spirit. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And Jesus goes right to Isaiah 61 and he's going to read. Here it is. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Look at verse, I love 420, look at this. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And look at this. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? And he began to say to them, today. Everybody say today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you have any idea how profound that phrase is today? Do you understand contained in that today is thousands of years of expectation, of prayer, of fasting, of deliverance, of breakthrough. The prophets were seeing that there was coming a Messiah who would deliver Israel from all of her oppressors and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. All the prophets saw this. Isaiah said it right here. There's coming one with the spirit of the sovereign God upon him and he's gonna preach and he's going to heal traumatized hearts. He's going to give recovery of sight to blind. He's going to heal, deliver, break through. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm he. I'm he. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And for the fact that they knew him, they were unable to receive from him. They go, we've been watching this young boy. He ran around this room during worship. We watched him since he was two years old, running around. And because of overfamiliarity, they weren't able to see who he was. Well, I want to tell you that I believe that we are moving, that we are in a Luke 418 season. Let me say that again. I believe Luke 418, we've moved into that season. And I believe that we're going to see many who are right now presently or on the back end of ones who have been in prison caves, one who have been in trauma hospitals, ones who have been bound by addiction, bound by depression, bound by, by addiction to pornography, bound by addiction to alcohol, bound by addiction to drugs, bound by addictions that we're going to see the very ones liberated are going to be anointed with the Luke 4.18 anointing. I love Mark chapter five. Jesus delivers the demoniac, bankrupts the whole swine industry in the region. It says they ran out to him and then they begged him to leave. 
get out of here. You just disrupt stuff, Jesus. We all think revival is awesome. When Jesus comes to town, he disrupts everything. He bankrupts unrighteous economies. He just wrecks everything. But I love the demoniac. It says that he was sitting clothed and in his right mind. It says they were afraid. <laughs> you weren't afraid by the guy killing, doing all of this stuff, but now you're afraid. And then he begged Jesus, can I stay with you, Jesus? And Jesus says, I want you to go into all of Decapolis and share what I've done for you. He's going to take a brand new demoniac and make him his primary evangelist into the region. And I believe God's going to set you free on Sunday night and commission you on Monday morning. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 126. Reward was speaking. I want to read Psalm 126 and then I want to share a 10-year story that, is, that has come to a, an end in our family in the last month. Psalm 126. Again, it's the 40 days of moving into fullness of power. And I believe that we've been in that. Look at this. Psalm 126 verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And then they enter into intercession because Psalm 126 is the initial captives returning from Babylonian captivity. It was partial, but it wasn't full. And so they see the initial release of the captives, but they move into intercession saying, God, bring back our captivity as streams in the south. And then you have this little proverb right here that is seriously profound for us in this hour. Next verse. It says this, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. A couple of things about that verse. Number one, tears are seeds. Tears are seeds that are being sown. And there's a reaping season based on the present weeping for a coming harvest. Let's continue on right here. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And I believe that for many in the last decade, it's been a season of weeping. It's what I even talk about with the gift of tears. I'm not trying to talk about creating optimum environments for you to cry. I believe God is whittling the church down to a new place of prayer, a deeper place of prayer on the other side of words. I believe he's bringing the church to prayer on the other side of words and it's called liquid prayer. It's called when you've run out of all your articulation and your nice fancy buzzwords, bumper stickers and t-shirts and all you've got are ugly groans, ugly tears, ugly travail as the deep groan within your spirit reaches for God and all you have are tears. And, and that's when God has whittled you down to tears and when God has overcome you, that's usually the prayer that overcomes God. See, I want, I want to tell you, when God has gotten you, when God has overcome you, when he's broken down all your answers, 
All your strategies, all your own ingenuity and wisdom and abilities and resources and you're backed into a corner and when God has overcome you and produced a prayer within you, that's the prayer that overcomes God. I'm going to get my wife. I'm in a second. I want you to put Genesis 32, 24 up here. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Genesis 32, 24. Somebody read to me that first phrase. Do you understand that was a 23 year journey right there? Then Jacob was left alone for the last 20 years earlier. Jacob stole brother's birthright, ran off into the Laban circus. He's on his way back home and he hears Esau is coming after him. So what does he do? He takes his wives, his servants, his soldiers, and he starts diversifying his portfolio. He starts splitting them up because he doesn't want Esau to kill them all in one swoop. So he diversifies them. And then it says, now Jacob was left alone. There's something about God getting a man alone before he lays hold of him. Something about God getting you alone where you've run out of options. And that's when the man shows up and wrestles with you until the breaking of the day. Who knows who that man is that laid hold of him? Jesus. Jesus wrestled with Jacob all night long. And you know what happened in that midnight wrestle? Jacob turned into Israel. Deceiver, supplanter, trickster turns into prince with God. And not only that, he got God's name. And forever, Jacob would walk like this. And people would ask many years later, why you walk like that? I had a midnight wrestle with God. I got the blessing, but I'll never walk the same. I'm going to carry this limp for the rest of my life. A dependence on God. One of my favorite phrases is when Joseph has built the way back for them. And it says and Jacob, when he comes into Egypt and he looks on his son, and it says he leaned on his staff. My God. God is not out to offend your pride. He's out to kill it. He ain't playing patty cake with you. He's into creating something he loves. Humility. Brokenness, desperation. Whew. He said, Jesus says, man, you're just offending me. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm going to kill it. He's a good wrestler. And he let Jacob play with him until he took him out. <laughs> All right. Well, this became really personal to me and our family 10 years ago, May 2011. Do you remember where you were May of 2011? We had just come out of a 10 month season in Kansas City, 7,000 testimonies, healing, deliverance, salvation. And we had, me and my good friend Alan Hood went to Fredericksburg, Virginia to a conference. We got in late that night and Alan says, Corey, come to my hotel room. I just want to share with you. He began to share with me increasing warfare. He began to say, Corey, I'm feeling warfare in my body, warfare in my mind. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm not doing well. Pray with me. 
We spent the next hour praying. And before I left, he said, God, would you give me a dream? Would you talk to me about what's going on? That night, he has a dream. And in the dream, he, in reality, he had written an article in ministry today called Standing at the Critical Juncture out of the book of Joel and the call to prayer and fasting. And how prayer, fasting, and repentance was our way forward. Well, he had saw the article on a computer screen and then he sees the comment boxes are witches and warlocks. And they were cursing leaders and their marriages and their ministries and their families. Well, he clicks on one of the boxes, goes into a room, encounters a man wrapped in a python. The guy has pornography all up his, his back wall and the guy is cursing Alan. He sees pornography everywhere, wrapped in a python. The guy's cursing him and Alan hears a voice behind him. Alan, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. Well, the next scene, Alan's taken out of that scene and he comes to a tent and there's thousands of young people. And he sees me and a man by the name of Bob Jones embrace one another. And we declare this phrase out of Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us. And Alan knew that the season of warfare was leading to great harvest among young people. And that we were going to see tents filled with the glory of God as Gen Zers and millennials sweep into the kingdom. He wakes up, runs down to my room. Corey, meet me at breakfast. Get your clothes on quickly. Get down there. I throw my clothes on, run down to breakfast. All right, all right. He goes, the Lord's spoken. The Lord's spoken. He starts telling me, he starts telling me the dream. And when he gets, and, and, and for you guys who don't know who Bob Jones is, I'm going to give you a 22nd biographical sketch. 1973, he's a prophet in the hills of Arkansas. God began to show him what was coming in this generation. He saw days where homosexuals would celebrate in the streets. He saw an over-the-counter abortion pill. The Lord was showing him unplugged TV screens. Well, he began to preach about this and the devil said, you keep doing it, I'm gonna kill you. He goes, well, I ain't your property anymore. He kept preaching and one day he died. He ended up standing before the Lord. The Lord says, I'm gonna send you back to prepare some of my end time ministries, end time leaders. One of the places he went to was Kansas City and for the 80s, he was absolutely critical in the prophetic foundation of IHOP Kansas City. For 20 years, we had heard stories about Bob Jones. That's all we heard was Bob Jones stories. Never met him, but my goodness, this guy's crazy. The stuff he's seen, the stuff he's said. So for me and Bob to embrace one another is quite profound. Well, Alan's telling me the dream and when he gets to the phrase of me and Bob Jones embracing one another and saying the Lord has done great things for us, a lady comes and taps, Bob on, uh, taps uh, Alan on the shoulder and says, hi, are you Alan Hood? He goes, yes, ma'am. She goes, hi, my name is Bonnie Jones and me and my husband Bob would like to have breakfast with you two. We had no clue Bob Jones was there. Never met him, never heard about him. What in the world's he doing? Stolly like Elijah, just show up somewhere. <laughs> I quickly went and I said, I got to get a quick quiet time. I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't need this guy up in my business. <laughs> you like that joke, Dana? All right. 
We sat down with him. First hour and a half was mostly weird. We didn't understand most of what he talked about. He's a seer, so he sees in the spirit realm. And he'll talk to you based on what he's seeing in the spirit realm through allegorical and symbolic language that really only means something to him, but he'll talk to you like it means something to you. And so all you do is you just nod real deep like you understand, but you don't have a clue what he's talking about. This guy is weird. Talking crazy things. I can't even share some of them. This is crazy. Well, he gets towards the end of it and he began to say, he took a step back. He goes, you boys have been preaching Joel and I see witchcrafts come against you. And he said, uh, he began to talk about the warfare around people pushing in for fullness. And then he looked at me and he goes, I see Python marks in your neck. I'm feeling, going, I don't feel no Python marks in my neck. And he said, uh, he kept talking about the warfare around pushing in for fullness. The devil's fine if you want to chill out, but if you want to push in that there's more, the devil rages war. Well, Alan had heard stories where Bob would pray over leaders under warfare and it would break when he'd pray for them. So Alan interrupted him and said, Bob, would you pray for us? And, and I'm, we're both sitting there just with our hands open, ready to receive a prayer. And he looked at us, just said, I ain't going to do that religious thing. What do you think I've been doing for the last two hours? I said, talking? I don't know. And then he said this, and I want everybody to listen to me. He goes, you boys have been weeping, haven't you? We go, yeah, we just weeping the last night. He said, you see, witchcraft gets in your eyes and it makes you look on past seasons as if you've never done anything for God. And then it makes you look on future seasons as if you'll never do anything for God. He said, but weeping, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. He goes, you boys are going to be fine. Your ministries are good. Just keep weeping. You have no idea how many times over the last 10 years that phrase would just go back. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to make it. I'm okay. I just need to keep weeping to keep today's, the warfare, the confusion, the lies, the accusation, the torment, the fog. I can't see. The ceiling feels here. I'm swirling. I do all the stuff I know, all my prayer, all my tongues, all my worship. I declare all the right verses, but still no breakthrough. And all I got are tears. Well, Alan's body would continue on and what he was beginning was a thyroid storm and his body would shut down. We would have a son, June 26, 2012, about a, a, a year after being with him. We named our son Josiah Nash. We named him after an intercessor who was real integral during the second great awakening named Daniel Nash. We had him on June 26, 2012. And on March 16, 2013, while I'm in London, England ministering, my wife takes the kids to Arkansas to see family, lays him down for a nap, and he doesn't wake up from his nap. The last eight years have been the most bone-crushing, 
earthquaking season of wondering whether we would make it. Of wondering if we could survive it. I'm very ill-equipped. I know to go to prayer, we had people around us, but you've got all kinds of people. Our daughters were 13 and 11 entering into this. And the season shifted and we fought our way through it. And it's by the sheer mercy and grace of God that we are here before you today. Who in here is grateful for the fact that you wouldn't be here without God. Now I know it's intense, but I'm sharing our story and I'm here to tell you there's people coming out. There's people coming out of caves. There's people coming out of places because there's a thousand different storylines in this room. Whatever the storyline is, I'm giving you our story as the power of testimony. But I know it's speaking and unlocking all the different storylines in this room. We all went on our journey. Dana, I want you to come up here and share with us. I have my journey that I walked through, but I want, it's my wife of 23 years. I love this girl with all my heart. I have great respect for this woman of God. And I, and I, this is our season. Talk to us about your journey. <laughs> First of all, I'm just going to share um, a dream that I had um, after Nash had passed. We were at my parents' house in Arkansas, and we ended up going back home. And that first night that I was at home, the Lord had given me a dream. And so I'm just going to read it. In the dream, I was back at my parents' house. I looked up in the sky night sky and there were tornadoes all around. I knew at that moment I must seek shelter. Immediately I ran to the basement for safety. When the storm had passed, I walked out of the basement. A few of others had followed me and there was such peace. The night air was clean and the grass glistened um, from the storm that had passed. As I looked up in the night sky, I saw stars and constellations that lit up the world around me. I was in awe. I decided to lay down on the grass and take the moment in, and others followed. As I looked up, I began to see formations gather. I saw mothers and children dancing. I saw men and women beaming down at me with joy. The whole sky was filled with people I'd never seen before. And the next thing I remember, I looked to the left of me and I saw a drain pipe that was going to heaven. And it was white, and a man was dressed in white, and he was sweeping it. And I look over to Mike Bickle, and I was like, can I go up? And he goes, yeah, you can go up. And then I looked back at the drain pipe. Hold on, let me go down. So obviously I knew the dream was significant, but I knew the Lord was preparing me for what I was about to walk through. A place of darkness that I'd never known, and yet speaking through the stars, you're not alone. And the dream gave me a glimpse of hope. I looked up and saw men of the generations of past. The great cloud of witnesses gave me a glimpse of the heavenly realm. It was almost as if I could see Nash dancing in the sky, cheering me on. And so that dream for me was the beginning. Well, number one, it was an invitation um, into the great cloud of witnesses and that my story was just the beginning of what I was getting ready to walk through for the next many, many, many years. Um, I ended up 
through trauma, um, my everything that was normal before and how it affected my brain, it was like what it was easy was became hard for me. Um, and I ended up pretty much going into a, we call it the, uh, yeah, deep depression, but we call it the, you know, the glass house that I hid myself in. And in that place of isolation, um, depression, times suicide, um, I ran to alcohol and became, there's just a pattern of addiction through many years. Um, and so in the midst of that um, darkest place, we, Corey and I, especially when we were thrown into the abyss. And so as a sense of when you lose a child, I mean, 80% of marriages don't make it. And we had no clue what to do. I mean, he was, the devil is going to pay. And me, I'm like, what do you have? Like, because he was preaching soon. And I was like, what do you have to say? You know, I'm like, this is super personal. And I was questioning so many things that I never, you know, one of the things the Lord gave me a supernatural for Nash, um, just that he was God's and his days were numbered. We had had two mis previous miscarriages. And then when Hadassah was born, it was like, he's faithful. And so when I was pregnant with Nash, I was going, okay, he's God's. But once he passed, the, my biggest, probably, offense towards the Lord was, if you would not have allowed this to happen, the passing, then I wouldn't have ran to alcohol because I never drank before. And then the other trauma began another trauma, and then another trauma. And basically, my offense was my family, almost lost my entire family because, and I became the victim. And so that was my biggest, the biggest thing that I dealt with through my journey and not seeing, I think the big picture in the sense of I never could see the goodness of God until a certain moment. And I remember Therese Engel came to me soon after Nash had passed and she goes, yeah, I had a friend who had a, you know, a son that had passed and finally seven years later, she came through the church, came through the doors, and she goes, she's back. And I was like, oh, no. I rebuked that seven years. Oh, seven years. Seven years. And I was like, no, 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 no. Well, it's pretty much seven years. I was free from addiction for a while, but I was still numb, completely numb towards. I'm going to tell you that. Yeah. So anyways, <clears throat> the process, my biggest, like I coming out of it, it's like, what is seven years in the realm of eternity and what he did in my heart? I'm just, you look at it and I'm going, the goodness of God, and that I can actually say this last season, I'm like, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of it all. So in the midst of the darkest place um, that I was at, Corey was gone on a trip and uh, I had this visitation with the Lord where I was, knew that I was asleep in the dream and I was falling from the sky and literally I knew I was going to hit. And immediately when I hit the ground, I was in this hospital and it was a prison. 
And I knew it was for trauma victims and trauma of all kinds. I mean, we've lost our son, but we're talking like from childhood for, you know, accidents, miscarriages. I mean, there were people in this place of trauma and they couldn't get out. And in their minds, they couldn't get out because of their perception of the way they viewed God. And also they would be chased by the workers and the devils, like chasing them if they ever left. And at one moment, a man shows up to me and he looks at me and he's actually whispers in my ear and he goes, Dana, you know, there's a way out of here. You know, there's a way out of here. And when you're in that place of trauma, that's the biggest thing that you deal with in your mind is that the cycles become where you have no hope to get out of it anymore. And then you start giving up and then self-hatred and then rejection and then it's the cycles. And he said, Dana, there's a way out. And immediately he jumps through the glass first, but we both jump through the glass and I begin running. And the first place that I come to is a cave. And in the cave, I see a man and he's sitting on a bench. He has his head down and I look at him, he's an old man. And he goes, Dana, that's Walt Whitman. And he dealt with homosexuality. And I just made a mental note, I was like, okay. And the next part of it, I'm at my parents' house and I'm in this field and I'm literally running in circles. And it's like, I know I'm being chased, but I think in my mind, because I felt like the Lord was angry and frustrated and I did everything I needed to do. And finally, when I felt I can't go anymore, I'm done. Like I give up, I see lightning coming out of the north and I fall to the ground and I just surrender and I'm going, God have mercy. And immediately shows up and I see Jesus right in front of me and he wraps me in his arms and he just holds me. And the next part of the dream, I'm in this ancient cobblestones and I'm, this would be the funny part, I'm doing this and I actually heal a cat. I'm healing everything and I'm healing a cat. And Corey's like, that's not the Lord, Dana. That's not God. I was, I was tracking with the dream or the he encounter until like, she wow, got to the cat ooh, and I go, honey, you know, the whole time. we got to test these spirits now. Come on. So we were at a conference and I shared that part. And a woman had always had these dreams about cats. And she goes, you know what it means? It has to do with the soul. And they, she said trauma and the healing of the, 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 tra- like the, the, the soul. I was like, oh, that's it. Cause I don't even like cats either. And so, yeah. And so the next part Praise of the dream, God. I'm in this like garden and basically a man, what? A man comes up to me and he's like, this person needs healing. Can you go, he- can you go to them? And I'm like, I can't make it in time. And I see Jesus on a bicycle and he shows up from the woods and he literally, I look at him and we make eye contact and it's like, he's my best friend. It was like that place that I walked through through suffering and the trauma that made me know him at such a personal, deep level of friendship that it wasn't about if I fast, if I do this, A plus B equals C, do, you know, then I'll finally get, it was like we were one. And so literally I look at him and I have this baton. I literally throw him the baton. He leaves. He just, and I know for a fact, the person got healed. 
What did you want to talk about? Friendship. Friendship. So, the anyway. next season. Yeah, the next season. So, I've been walking in a sense of breakthrough for a while, but me and the Lord, it was just, because Corey and I, I mean, I ran. We ran together for pressing in, and the enemy came to kill. Like, literally, like, we ran together. I was the worship leader at IHOP, and literally, we ran together, and everything yeah, he came to kill Soldier Story. And then, so basically, well, this I last season. Share, I want to share one thing. Y'all stick with me. This is beautiful. Lord took me and showed me five Psalms during the last five years. Yeah. One of them being Psalm 2. And what do you do when you find the devil rage against your most precious promise? When you find the devil's chaos, confusion, and rage against the deepest thing God's promised you, how do you respond in those seasons? And Psalm 2 taught me, you come out of the chaos, you make eye contact with the Father, and you ask Him that the greatest place of your warfare would become the greatest place of your inheritance. Another, for, another Psalm that the Lord used in that season, especially, I mean, a lot of Psalm 132, Psalm 2, Psalm 91, Psalm 18, Psalm 13. I've just been feeling all day long the Psalm 18. And I wasn't even going to talk about it, but Psalm 18 is when the Lord delivers David from Saul and all of his enemies. And I've never had this prayer come out of me, but Psalm 18, it talks about God. It says this in Psalm 18, verse 4, it says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. Have you been there, friend? The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. What's it gonna do? Look at the next verse. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills were quaked and were shaken. Why? Because God was angry. What happens when your enemies becomes God's enemies? Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. He bowed the heavens down. Keep going with me. Keep going. He rode upon a cherub. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I can't say that. Now, verse 19, one, there it is. He brought me out to a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. You know what I picture when I'm reading that? I picture a Navy SEAL unit showing up in Fallujah. And you've got a prisoner of war that's bound by the enemy. And I see a special ops team called the Lord and his angelic host that release a midnight drop to come down. And it says, he drew me out of many waters. <sighs> he delivered me because he delighted in me. And where the Lord sneaks in underneath the enemy's schemes and pulls you out. That phrase of Dana's encounter, you know there's a way out of here. Psalm 2, Psalm 18. This is what the Lord did. He took us through the journey. 
We moved here two years ago. Dana's been walking in sobriety, but she was still numb. Wasn't fully there yet. We we're still contending. Wasn't fully there yet. Keeps waking up every morning. I watched this woman for the last eight years wake up every morning and re-sign up, re-sign up, re-sign up, re-sign up. Well, something happened three months ago. What is it? We're May, March, yeah, right. April, March, February, three months ago. February 28th. February 21st, 21st. 2021. Right there. right there where Monica's sitting. <laughs> That, that Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Lou was here. We had just had a women's gathering. And we went into intercession at the beginning of that prayer meeting, at the beginning of that service. And the spirit of prayer hit Dana. A spirit of travail hit Dana. And she would enter into four hours of sustained travail. I'm talking about that birthing, gripping, groaning, nasty, intense, crying out like you're giving birth to a baby. What was going on? Well, I'm going to tell previously, before that, the women's, they had a gathering here that weekend, and one of the nights I actually just went home, and I was laying oh. on my bed, and... Some of y'all need to hear this next phrase right here. The Lord began to speak to me audibly, and basically he said, he just said to me, he's like, Dana, do you love me? And I knew he was referring to the story of Peter and John 21. And Wait, wait, do y'all know? Just take your time. Okay. Do y'all know John that 21? story? John 21, Peter failed Jesus miserably and declared boastfully in front of everybody else how much he loved Jesus. We know what happened. He failed miserably. And then in John 21, Jesus waits eight days after his resurrection to bring up the elephant in the room. And around a breakfast table, Jesus asked the question. And for me, I began to go on a search in my heart because I knew I loved him, but I just didn't trust him. You know, and I oh. had given up hope, I think, on so much throughout the journey of, of pressing and trying to do it and then just being let down, it, so I believed. Um, and so just like even with Peter, the way he had dealt with death and what it did to him and the runnings for so many years for me. And so the Lord was beginning to speak that to me the next morning. I end up seeing Larissa. It's a Saturday. I share it with her. And so that morning, Sunday, we begin, um, Israel and Michael gets up here and he begins to speak, um, out of Isaiah and basically, you know, set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, those who, you know, give no rest. But then he went back and he was talking about, um, literally brought up the same story of Peter. And he goes, some of you in this room have pulled back from your going after the Lord and literally goes through the story of Peter. And I look at Larissa and I look at Corey and I'm, I'm out. And I begin to go into this travail. And I know it's for many things, but I end up in this place of the Lord. And I know that I know that I know that I'm giving birth to my destiny. Like I knew this is it. 
And the many years that I waited for, it was, it was now, it was right then. And I end up for four hours out. I came back to the night session, was out. And that next so many months, all I could do was weep. Like all I could do was cry. And it was just the gratefulness of God. And the worthiness, like I was saying earlier, it was all I could say was, he's so worthy, you're so worthy. And I would just weep. Worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. That would be going through me. And then I'd go back into travail. And during that season, we, I went to um, the Barcelona's house and we ended up, um, there's people from actually Fredericksburg, Virginia there and Corey was supposed to come and talk and we started to fast because I was like, I'm gonna ride this pony. You know, like, come on. And I haven't fasted in, I mean, 20, I mean, we came a long time ago. And so I went on this fast and I'm like dull. I mean, I just feel like garbage. And I'm in the back and Corey begins to minister to people and all of a sudden I'm out and I'm in travail, hiding in the kitchen because I hate to be seen and in front. And I'm in the back and I'm, in, I'm literally in travail. And I see, a, I'm in this place though with the, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit of this tongue that I'd never, never experienced. Like I was talking to God. Like we were having a conversation together and it was like he would respond. And immediately I had a vision of Nash and he was peering over heaven, from heaven. And I was looking at these kids and I'm like, that's that, that's the Nasherites. That is the ones that a seed was sown into the ground and a great harvest is gonna come for what we've labored for, for so many years of night and day prayer and worship. And so that moment, happened and then you can start telling about the Fredericksburg, yeah. Virginia. Well, April 15th, so about a little over a month ago, a group of us, Michael, Orisa, Barcelona's handful of worship team people went to Fredericksburg, Virginia. And the last, I forgot to tell you this, but that was a tent gathering in May of 2011. They hadn't had a tent gathering until a month ago. Yeah. I wasn't even invited to speak at it, but I looked at Dana and I go, I think we're supposed to go to this. So we went and little did we know that we would find ourselves on the Saturday, Dana, the spirit of travail would hit her once again. And they would come up, she would join the Barcelonas and they would be up there praying and going after God. A lady would begin to move into ministering to people that, were, uh, that had trauma. Trauma had affected their, their life. And then it shifted to Dana and well, no, just the Lord spoke to me. I'm supposed to speak. And I'm like, oh God, no. So the Lord speaks to her. And then Alan, Please. Alan's my dearest friend in the world. The music was still going. He goes, I want you to bring the music down. Yeah. A thousand people there under this tent. I want you to bring the music down. A woman of God is about to speak. A woman of God is about to speak. And Alan knows our story all the way through. And Dana began to share her story, our story over the next 30 to 40 minutes and a spirit of travail would hit a thousand people. A spirit of prayer would hit a thousand people. Michael would get up, make declarations over Dana. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And he would go, it's Dana, it's Dana, it's Dana. 
And it would go from a thousand people in travail and intercession into joy bomb joy. just dropped on the whole tent and the place exploded in joy and dancing. So I, I believe that this was a 10 year season that just came to a close. The book got closed. The book got closed. A season that had a chapter title literally got closed. And we've moved into a new season. I know we have. I know Upper Room has. I believe that the prophetic church across the earth is moving into a different season where Jesus closes the book. Everything that you've been longing for is here. It's always safe to say it's coming. Friend, there is a real day. Today, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. And I believe that God wants to take, I believe that we're first fruits, we're tips of the spear of what God wants to release wholesale, mass deliverance, mass healing, mass deliverance from trauma. Jesus wants to show up to you in your trauma prison and look at you and take you by the hand and say, you know there's a way out of here, don't you? And break the glass. Break the glass of addiction. Break the glass of trauma. He wants to release a cry of intercession that shifts history. Like Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. She tried to play the nice Christian wife. But there was a painful burden. I, I did not play the good Christian wife. Yeah. That's what I love about her. No fake in her. She can't put anything, can't fake anything. That's why I like her. <laughs> First Samuel 1. Hey! First Samuel 1. Hannah tried to play the nice Christian wife for years. Go, keep going. Go to verse about 6. That other wife was provoking her. Look at that. Everybody say her rival. Which means the other wife was going, look at me and look at you. Look at me and look at you. I'm taking care of our husband. You're barren. And for a long time, Hannah just tried to go, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. But finally, the dam began to break. It says she provoked her severely to make her miserable. Look at this. Because the Lord had closed her womb. What do you do when God puts you between a rock and a hard place? When God did it and then allows people to the side of you to provoke you. I'll tell you what it does. It causes the dam of nice religiosity to break on the inside of you. All the plastic smiles, all the fakery, all the living out of the shadows and living at a distance and a dam breaks and a new prayer is birthed inside of you. Look at this. Hey! So it was when she went up to the house of the Lord, she provoked her. She wept and she did not eat. Finally, the dam's breaking. Why is your heart grieved? Go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Here it is. She was in bitterness of soul. We need a bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. And look at this. She made a vow and she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, 
and remember me and not forget me, but will give me a male child. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. He'll be a Nazarite priest in the temple forever. See, control got broke off of Hannah. She goes, you give him, I give him back. I'm not going to hold on to him so I can look good in front of everybody. Now it happened as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Look at this. Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Look at this. This is what one of the greatest prayers in the Bible look like. Don't laugh. One of the greatest prayers ever uttered was never articulated. It was never audible to the natural ear. And yet the cry of the depths of her spirit arrested God reached all the way to the throne. And this is the saddest part of this verse. The spiritual leadership of the day had gone so long without seeing the spirit of prayer resting on someone. Eli thought she was drunk. Friend, I want to tell you what's coming to the church, that kind of praying. Because we're still walking around saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the Lord's going to, and while we're just living and the Lord says, I'm going to drive this thing in. I'm going to produce a prayer on the inside of you that your religious fake smiles won't touch. Your bumper stickers and t-shirts won't touch. Your faith confessions won't touch. Oh, and you know what happened in one generation? The Lord restored priesthood. The Lord restored the prophetic office. And it would be that young boy that would grow up and anoint the next king after the Lord's heart. He would anoint King David. We talk about David. I want to talk about Hannah. I believe we're in this moment of that kind of, I mean it, a transitional shift in history. That was a transitional shift. I believe God wants to do it in your lives. I believe he wants to do it in this generation. It's time for captives to come out of prison cells. It's time for prisoners to come out. It's time for the traumatized heart to be healed. Not someday, today. Amen, let's stand.